Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Again, to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And I should tell everyone, we very nearly didn't have John with us this week. He was holding out, but just in the nick of time, he worked out a new contract and he's reported for podcasting duty. Uh, he might be a little rusty, didn't get a lot of practice in, so he's going to have a limited podcasting workload this week, but still no need for me to call up a co-host from the practice squad. John, I take it our bosses at US Bets satisfied all of your high-maintenance diva demands? Uh, yeah, I mean, of course, Eric. Uh, I just claim credit for all of our collective success, and they seem to fall for it. So you know, keep, <laughs> keep in mind, I have decades of experience dealing with millionaire athletes and billionaire owners and other billionaires, and I kind of learned their feet. So um, I, I, really, I'm just happy I avoided all those August two-a-day podcast rehearsals. <laughs> I'm getting too old for that. <laughs> Understandable. Uh, as long as you weren't holding out for a new co-host to replace me, as long as no. that wasn't a part of your uh, long list of demands, uh, th- then I'm glad you got what you wanted. That was not mentioned. No. Okay, good. Uh, so thank you to everyone, including John, uh, for joining us for episode number 55 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 54 podcasts, they're all available on SoundCloud and on iTunes and the Apple Podcast app. But this is the one you've all been waiting for, episode 55 overall, episode one of the 2019 NFL season. Oh, that's so right, Eric. And we'll be talking a lot of NFL this week, obviously. Uh, coming up a little later on the show, we're going to be joined by Roto-Grinders John Sarabian. Uh, he's going to talk about his thoughts on week one, the season as a whole, and some of the similarities and differences between DFS and sports betting. Uh, but first, it's been yet another busy news week in the world of gambling, so let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Are you ready for some football betting? According to a new survey from the American Gaming Association, 15% of American adults are. That's 38 million Americans who plan to risk money on the NFL this season. And depending on your perspective, maybe that sounds like a lot. Maybe it's a lower number than you were expecting, since it includes fantasy leagues and office pools, all forms of risking money on football. In any case, according to the study about 7 million adults plan to place a bet at a legal land-based sports book this NFL season. That's up more than 20% over a year ago when sports betting was only legal in three states as of the start of the season. Another notable number is that 75% of bettors say they're more likely to watch a game they bet on. However, according to NFL executive Chris Halpin in a New York Times article published Wednesday, The league doesn't see legalized sports betting creating a huge bump in interest. Uh, And certainly I'll concede that interest in the NFL was already astronomical before regulated sports betting started spreading. Now, John, I know you were on the AGA's conference call Wednesday, so 
Did you learn anything new on the call? Uh, does 15% of adults betting sound high, low, or just right to you? And is the NFL being dishonest in downplaying the extra interest and money generated by legal sports betting? Yeah, I think you know the the survey did uh, its best to try and capture this, but I think it's impossible to define what betting is really in the NFL because uh, even honest respondents are gonna you know maybe handle it differently. Um, a lot more than fifteen percent of Americans, I think, either use a bookie. Go to a casino or a racetrack. They bet legally or e- illegally online. They play in a survivor pool. Have a fantasy football league with cash prizes, and they play daily fantasy sports. I mean, even whatever you try and get into the survey, I don't think it's going to capture the the full amount, especially when you're talking about you know once or twice a year. I mean, I think a, a lot more Americans will at least dabble here and there. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's higher. Um, I noted in my usbets.com article off the conference call. Uh, around the time we we're on that call, actually, Cowboys owner Jerry Jones was saying on uh, Yahoo Sports uh, that NFL TV deals are liable to rise 50 percent thanks to sports betting. So I, I don't always buy what Jones is selling, certainly, but uh, that doesn't sound unrealistic. Yeah, uh, he, apparently uh, he he and uh, Chris Halpin uh, didn't didn't compare notes beforehand and uh, get on the same page uh, about what the party line is for uh, the impact that sports betting is having. But um, yeah, that that fifteen percent number, it's I had the sort of the same first reaction as you that ah, that sounds a little low. I would think it's higher than that. Maybe this survey didn't capture it. One thing though is the more I think about it. First of all, at the risk of sounding like a sexist, uh, not nearly as many women will be betting on games, playing DFS, entering fantasy leagues with their friends, and entering weekly office pools, survivor pools, etc. Now, certainly some women do, some or all of these things, but it's a relatively small percentage. So if you consider that more than half the adult population is very likely to be a no in this poll— suddenly that 15% is maybe more like 30% of men, or... Yeah, maybe that's probably exaggerating a little, but, you know, at least 25 percent or so of men. Uh, Then you factor in that above a certain age, you know, we're talking men in their 60s, 70s, 80s. They're not as likely to have gotten into the fantasy thing, which uh, is the sort of a a single handed factor that probably leads a certain portion of those people to say, yes, I don't I don't do the betting or even the DFS, but I'm in a fantasy league. I think a lot of people would respond that way. So ultimately, if we're really focusing on adult men age 21 to 50, which is probably the biggest target demo of the NFL, uh, the number is is even higher. You know, maybe it's like 35, 40 percent of those men plan to risk money on the NFL this season. Um, it's got me thinking about, you know, that the the monoculture, you know, the, the, the idea is that the monoculture is dead, that there's no primetime TV show that everybody watches uh, like used to be the case with Seinfeld or Cheers, even Game of Thrones, which was considered by some the last monoculture TV show. Its audience was a fraction of Seinfeld's, but still it was huge. Now Game of Thrones is over. So the NFL, I think, truly is the only current monocultural entertainment option. And that's across genders. Uh, You know, maybe the women aren't betting on it as much, but certainly even the women I know who don't care much about sports will pay attention to what's going on with the Eagles, for example, uh, in in the Philly area. Bottom line, the NFL is a behemoth. It's a central part of our culture with or without gambling. But gambling absolutely increases engagement. Certainly, it drives people to watch more than just one game on a Sunday, which might be the approach if they weren't gambling. You watch your team but don't care much about the rest. 
it is absolutely increasing the valuation of the franchises, even if maybe Jerry Jones was overshooting the numbers slightly. Um, as I've said in recent weeks, I'm very eager to see some of the handle and revenue numbers in various states in September. Yeah, well, I, I think you really hit on a key point is that um, a lot of people uh, not being sexist, but being sexist, uh, <laughs> underrate how many women love the NFL, which is a huge number. Uh, and it skews younger, but it's it's huge anyway, over all ages. So uh, you have to understand that so many women love the NFL, but how many of them bet on the NFL or bet on anything, really? We've talked about that. Um, so that's that's the difference there. You know, women are more interested in sports than a lot of uh, sexist men think, but they're less interested in gambling than uh, a lot of people would guess. So I, I think there's a good differentiator there between interest in the NFL and wanting to risk dopey money like men do. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Uh, moving on to our next story. Uh, last week, we discussed the addition of Bet365 to the crowded online sportsbook space in New Jersey. Now there's another big name, a much bigger name in North America to throw into the mix. Uh, BetStars, the sports betting arm of PokerStars, officially became FoxBet in New Jersey as of last Friday. And then late in the day, Wednesday, FoxBet soft launched in Pennsylvania as well. DraftKings and FanDuel may be well-known brands, and, and same with Caesars and MGM, but they're nothing compared to Fox, a brand name about as recognizable in the U.S. as Nike or Facebook. Already, Fox is promoting Fox Bet's real money odds and markets during live sporting events on TV. I was witness to this during live boxing on Fox this past Saturday night uh, and during the various talking head programs on FS1, FS2 and whatever the Fox Sports version of the Ocho is. Uh, <laughs> the Fox on air personalities like Chris Carter, Colin Coward and Cousin Sal Iacono are being integrated into the site, having special bets built around them. Simply put, this is a marketing blitz, pardon the football pun, just as NFL season is beginning that the other sites can't compete with. So I asked last week if and how soon Bet365 might rise to the top in New Jersey. Same question for FoxBet. Can it challenge FanDuel and DraftKings by the end of football season or by the start of next football season? And can it be number one in Pennsylvania also? Yeah, well, you know, FoxBet is a wild card, aren't they? I mean, uh, yeah, but FanDuel and DraftKings have monster site databases from D DFS in states like New Jersey and Pennsylvania and really all over the country. So, you know, my amateur speculation would be that um, I think in a dozen of the states that don't have sports betting yet, that's where FoxBets' marketing can attune these fans to them so that when legalization does come next year or year after, they could be a first choice. They're, they're so used to. Uh, watching what Fox Bet says, and they don't want to bet illegally, so they hold off. And then all of a sudden, boom, they're blitzed with the now you can bet legally in your state. I think Fox Bets can actually clean up there. Um, you know, 80% of the population doesn't yet have legal sports betting. So that's a heck of a marketplace to go to for them. Um, uh, even if they can't get to the top in New Jersey, uh, I don't think at all. And Pennsylvania is a close call, actually. Yeah, that, that's a great point about the those states where it hasn't launched yet that, you know, in in those states where Fox Bet can be a first mover or very close to a first mover, they, they have the potential to really dominate. But, yeah, looking at New Jersey, the question is really how many bettors already have accounts on FanDuel and or DraftKings or some other combination of one or two sites and just aren't interested in making another deposit beyond those one or two sites they're already on. That's the biggest hurdle to Fox Bet's success in New Jersey. It's a smaller hurdle in Pennsylvania because there aren't as many sites there and 
plenty of casual gamblers might have been waiting for football season to start anyway before making their first deposit. So I think there's certainly a better chance that Fox bet is number one in Pennsylvania by the end of football season, uh, although certainly FanDuel in Pennsylvania will have something to say about it, uh, th- then there is that, that it'll rise that quickly in New Jersey. I, in New Jersey, I could still see it getting there, but it might take a while because people already have a full NFL season and a full calendar year plus of betting habits built in. Well, the good thing is New Jersey is a fairly large state in terms of population, and it's an important state, obviously, in sports betting and really all all gambling. But it's just one state. So, you know, um, yeah, we're both not convinced of how far they get in New Jersey. But it's only one thing. Pennsylvania, I think we agree it's a fair fight. And I mean, even New York, even though it has, you know, upstate uh, casinos now, I'll be going to uh, the Catskills tonight to watch uh, a couple of ex-Knicks and ex-Jet, you know, start (laughs) launch the casino there, uh, the sports betting in the casino. But uh, they don't have online yet in in New York. So by the time they do, Fox Bet is going to have planted the seed with so many millions of New Yorkers. So and then you know how many other dozens of states. So I think Fox Bet's in a good spot. It's not perfect. Uh, you want to be you know first to market and all, but um, they're early enough that I think they're going to do very well. Yep. All right. For our third and final story this week, we look at Rhode Island, and no. Rhode Island isn't a big state in terms of size, in terms of population, or in terms of importance in the overall U.S. legal sports betting picture, but it is the first state in New England to go live with mobile wagering. Sportsbook Rhode Island, a single app affiliated with William Hill, started taking bets on Wednesday. But there is a catch in addition to the online betting monopoly factor. Bettors have to register in person at either the Twin River or Tiverton casinos. And I know it's not a large state and you're never more than an hour away from one casino or the other. But still, it's a hurdle that will prove a barrier to entry for some. Anyway, John, do you expect that this development will cause Connecticut or Massachusetts to hurry up at all? Yeah, I mean, I want to say no because of how small Rhode Island is, but uh, there is that Patriots effect, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, Rhode Island had anemic numbers last uh, season. They got buried in the Super Bowl betting thanks to the Patriots. But um, I think the first two months of online numbers uh, will be larger than I think uh, Massachusetts and Connecticut are expecting because uh, they don't seem to be paying attention yet. So um, they won't be enormous, but they'll be big enough that I think it will wake those states up. And I would guess that next fall, uh, Connecticut, Massachusetts uh, sports uh, fans will be able to bet in their own states. Yeah. Speaking of, of that Patriots effect, I'm curious to watch and see uh, with this one site that's that's going to be active in Rhode Island, whether the odds and spreads on Patriots games will look different in Rhode Island than elsewhere. You know, because as you mentioned, Rhode Island sports books took a bath on the Super Bowl because of that lopsided action on the Patriots. Um, we've seen in New Jersey and Pennsylvania that the local teams don't get treated much different by the odds makers in part because those sports books have competition. So, you know, if, if Sugar House is giving me Eagles minus 10 and a half, they're not going to get much action if Parks has the Eagles at minus nine. But in Rhode Island, the only online competition is the offshore books. Um, so I'll just be curious to see if Sportsbook Rhode Island is pricing up the pats in order to keep the action balanced. Uh, whatever the case, Rhode Island's big impact in sports betting will not be in the handle and revenue generated there within the state. It'll be in potentially driving those bigger states like Massachusetts to pass sports betting legislation sooner rather than later. Uh, One thing is for sure with Rhode Island sports betting, we'll see heavy action on Brown University football this season. High expectations (laughs) there, possible national championship in their sights. 
Yeah, I think you have a little uh, uh, interest in that, don't you? <laughs> yeah, but I would not be crazy enough to put money on that football team under under any circumstances, really. Yeah, betting Ivy League football just seems wrong on so many levels. But uh, uh, also, uh, William Hill, of course, is a national uh, brand, an international brand, and they're enormous in uh, Nevada. And um, I think the amount of action that they get in Rhode Island is not that huge that they can have to worry about, oh, my God, what if the, the Patriots go 11-5 against the spread this year? You know, they're right. going to be fine. I mean, think about Pennsylvania. The idea was, well, since their tax rate is so high there, they're going to have awful, awful uh, spread rates um, for their betters. And that hasn't really happened either. So right. um, we kind of expected a little bit of regional uh, bias in terms of spreads and or uh, terrible lines, depending on tax rates. But Pretty much, it seems like in most states, uh, the bet is a bet is a bet. Yep. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. There isn't really an off-season in sports betting or DFS, but there is an on-season, a peak season, and it starts this week with NFL football kicking off with a Thursday game, 13 Sunday games, and two Monday night games. Joining us now to help us spotlight a few of the most interesting angles and trends is John Sarabian of Roto Grinders. He's an accomplished DFS player with numerous live finals on his resume, and he's a Grinders Live analyst, and I'm sure he's ready for real football to begin. John, welcome to Gamble On. Hey, Eric. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, you know, it's great to be here talking football. I'm ready. Week one, you get, you know, the Thursday night game coming up in just a little while. So I, I'm, I'm excited. I can't wait, you know, then for the, the full slate of games on Sunday. It's going to be awesome. All right. Well, I'll start um, with a question similar to one we've asked other DFS experts when they've come on the podcast. How's the spread of legal sports betting affecting what you do in terms of the content you're producing, as well as the amount of time you're able to devote to DFS, is it having a profound impact on your job or on your bankroll? Yeah, I mean, you know, for the for the content wise, you know, I'm always looking into, you know, the sports betting angle for my DFS as well, you know, looking at totals, player props, all that stuff, the Vegas uh, lines, you know, what's happening, you know, lines moving. So, uh, I mean, I think in terms of it, you know, it, it just kind of adds to it, but I don't think it take a, it doesn't take away from my DFS time because I'm already spending time on that or I've already been doing that anyways. So I think it just kind of adds a little bit in terms of my bankroll. Um, I mean, it helps, you know, getting a little sports betting on the side, you know, it's, it's always good for my bankroll. Um, I'm, I'm not going to complain about it. It's been good to me. So you know, um, I'm definitely more of a DFS player and I, I, I won't say that I'm, you know, a big sports gambler as opposed to a DFS player. It's definitely a DFS player first, but I do, you know, dabble in sports gambling and I, I do like it and enjoy it, especially the player props. Gotcha. Yeah, John, you know, obviously there's a lot of overlap between daily fantasy sports and sports betting too. Um, and some who focus mainly on one and not the other. I mean, honestly, when I think of a daily fantasy sports player, I think of somebody who looks like you. And when I think of a sports better, I think of someone who looks more like me. So I'm curious if that's your impression as well. Yeah. So um, most of the DFS players, I would say, are uh, millennials, you know, mm-hmm. younger guys. I would say, um, you know, between their their 20s and their 30s, maybe late 30s. Um, so that, that's for sure. And then sports betters, I would say, are, are 
older gentlemen who have been doing it for a long time, you know, like, um, I, I see it as back in their day, they didn't have fantasy sports. It was sports gambling. That was how you, you know, got your enjoyment or extra enjoyment out of sports. You know, you gambled on the game. Um, you know, then season long came along and maybe some of you dabbled in that, you know, but it, it's more of like the new trend and, you kind of just stuck, you like what you like and that's it. You're just stuck in those ways. And I, I can respect that. And um, I, I think it's interesting though, cause I do think that um, some, some older people, they still like kind of enjoy it or follow it. They just might not have the time or want to actually play it. So that is the main thing right there. I think they rather just say, I'm going to throw a hundred bucks on, the Dallas spread, you know, because I just want to bet on the game as opposed to picking a, a lineup um, where, you know, they know that there's a ton of other players that are researching and putting in 150 lineups and they just say, ah, screw it. I'm just going to play the spread. Yeah. I, I mean, I've talked to Eric about this before, but you know, it, it's hard to believe now, but you know, back in the 1970s, Jimmy, the Greek Snyder was on a CBS football pregame show every week and he's, he's making his picks against the point spread. And um, it was all pretty blatant and um, nobody thought anything of it. And then the 1980s, which you guys are a little too young to remember, but there's obviously a kind of a cultural revolution, you know, around Reagan elected president and the times became more conservative and then Pete Rose and all that. So gambling suddenly was a scourge of the earth and, and everybody ran away from it and it took all these decades and now finally we're back to where we're just about ready to see another jimmy the creek i think <laughs> and for the record for the record john I, i'm not too young to remember the 80s uh, i am too young to remember the 70s though uh, <laughs> i i am too young to remember the 80s um but you know i did have like i have older i have older siblings and um you know uh my father who is uh and grandfather who definitely been you know they love sports and they they bet back in back in their day. So I, I know about a lot of it, but I can, I remember the cards where you had the spreads on a little card and you had a circle four winners. My grand, my grandfather used to say, I got to pick four winners. So uh, <laughs> that was actually like my first time getting uh, ever really realizing anything about sports gambling was him saying out loud to me, like, I, I just got to pick uh, four winners. So right. yeah. <laughs> Well, to, uh, to shift back to your, your area of expertise, the, the DFS, uh, week one NFL DFS question for you. We just got the news this week that Ezekiel Elliott has signed a new contract, expected to play on Sunday against the Giants, which takes a slam dunk value play, Tony Pollard, off the board. Do you view that as a good thing? Like, Do you prefer when there isn't that obvious value play who's going to be about 50% owned in some big tournaments and instead everyone has to work a little harder to construct strong lineups? So I think this is a two-part question and I'm going to answer it like this. For my own research in building lineups, I hate when there's a slam dunk value because I think it takes a lot of the building process, the fun part of making different lineups out of the equation when you know a guy is going to be 60 to 70% owned or even higher than that. Um, because then, you know, like that guy is going to be in the majority of lineups and it just, it, it kind of makes lineup building a little easier, which you can tell kind of where other people are going to go after that. Now I love it in terms of in tournaments, because I know that if there's a guy that's going to be that highly owned, if I'm underweight or fading that guy, my lineups, no matter what, no matter who else is in my lineups, it's going to be different. And I'll give you the example. Last year, we had Damian Williams against the Raiders. 
and I think he was around 4K. Similar, he got in. Um, Oakland was, you know, bad defense, and he was 70% owned in pretty much every tournament. I went extremely underweight. I think I had maybe 5 or 10% of him, and I ended up winning or coming in second in a tournament. And I just remember saying to myself, it doesn't matter if all my other players are 20% owned. It just, like I'm going to take the best plays available and just fade him and make my lineups that way. And it, it, and it still made my team different, even though I only had one player that was under 10% owned. Every single other player was 15, 20, 25, 30. And I think people kind of mix this up sometimes where they want to differentiate too much. And they don't realize if if I'm if, if you're fading that and he busts seventy percent of the lineups in your tournament are are dead. You're you're only playing thirty percent now. So think of that in terms of numbers, right? It's like okay, would you rather play against a thousand people or you know three hundred? You know, right. so it, it's it, it that's how people need to to play these contests and and think about um, these type of plays in terms of fading and and playing and. Um, making lineups. So and I think people still haven't caught on to that. That's that's really interesting, just that you don't have to be con- contrarian at all with the rest of your lineup if you're being contrarian just by fading one one player is going to be heavily owned. I never really thought of it that way. Yeah, especially when, you know, you're playing in contest size that aren't the Millie Maker. Now, if it was the Millie Maker, then uh, you, you probably would have to differentiate a little more. Mm-hmm. But if you're playing against 1,000, 5,000 teams... I think that's the way to go. And people still don't get like size of the tournament matters. You got to know what tournaments you're playing. And I think a lot of people sometimes play these 5,000 uh, team tournaments like a million maker. And it, it just, it's not, you don't have to do that. Right. All right. Yeah. Now, John, on any given Sunday, obviously, uh, you know, you, you find out from the opening kickoff to the end, whether you won or not by the end of the day. Um, whereas if you're picking a Super Bowl favorite or even a division winner, you might be waiting four or five months. So does, does that kind of uh, predicting have any appeal to you? And do you have any hunches, any sleepers for who's going to win the Super Bowl or maybe surprise and win a division or anything like that? Yeah, well, I think that's the that's the thing that we love about daily fantasy is like you know after the day ends if you won or lost. You know, for for futures and stuff like that, you have to be a little more patient. I'm not a very patient guy. I, I like to know like that. I like to see my bankroll go up, you know, or increase that that night. You know, right away I'm like, wait, I want the money in my my bank account. You know what I mean? So. Um, but for sure, I, I definitely uh, do uh, dabble in, you know, predicting teams that I think are, are lower than what consensus uh, are saying. And um, like, for instance, this year, before Andrew Luck retired, I was really high on the Jaguars. I really thought I was going to pick them to win the division. Um, I, I really thought that they had a shot. I think their defense is going to be a lot better. I think Nick Foles is a big upgrade from Blake Bortles. Um, and if you watch uh, some of those games, they played without Leonard Fournette in a lot of them. There's just a lot of things going for them where uh, I can see them being a team that comes out, and they could even make it uh, you know, to, to the AFC Championship or even the Super Bowl. I think they're that good of a team with an experienced quarterback like Nick Foles and that great defense. But a team that I want to bet to win it all is the Cowboys. I've seen them at, you know, 20 to one. I think they're another team where they bolstered their, um, their defense 
adding, you know, Demarcus Lawrence and Robert Quinn. Um, I'm pretty sure Robert Quinn sidelined for a few games with the suspension, but when he gets back and then their linebacking core is, is awesome. Their secondary is pretty good. Um, and then obviously Zeke signing today and, uh, you know, if Dak can just, uh, kind of manage those games I think you know their defense is going to be very good and I, I think they're going to surprise people I really do I think they win that division I think uh, they come out of the NFC they're my team to uh, come out of the NFC and um, I think win it all too I, I think I'm going to take them to win it all wow well uh, I'm an Eagles fan and John is a Giants fan so I think this is no, your first no, and no. last appearance on your uh, are you not a Giants fan John am I wrong oh <laughs> no yeah. All right. Well, I'm an Eagles fan, so as far as I'm concerned, you can never come on the podcast again, John. Sorry. <laughs> you know, if I if I had known that, known that, I would have just I would I would have just not said anything. <laughs> I would have said I'm picking the Patriots because I'm a Boston fan. But you know, right. that's, that's all right. But this is this is a good creative pick, at least. I haven't heard too many other people uh, talking yeah. about the Cowboys going all the way. So wait, but but John Brennan, uh, I I don't know why I assumed you were a Giants fan. Are you a Jets or or a nothing? Uh, not a Jets fan. Um, kind of, uh, you know, the guy who works in the ice cream store gets a little tired of uh, ice cream when he gets home. So, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a red zone fan basically. Okay. All right. There so, you go. So well, are you a retired Jets or Giants fan? I'm just trying to, uh, well, all right. Good question. Um, well, to be perfectly honest, I uh, enjoyed the Redskins for about 20 years before you were born and then they've been pretty irrelevant for 25 years. So, um, <laughs> Not really much point in uh, watching them. And they're not a lot of national TV games. And they usually get off to a slow start. And then, so, uh, I guess if, if they were any good, I might jump on the bandwagon again. It's possible. Right. Well, the, the fact that you said you're a Red Zone fan, I think that's definitely something that, yeah. that uh, the other John here and, and all the other – I, can get, on board. I right. can get on board with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's been great talking to you, John. Uh, everyone listening, uh, give John a follow on Twitter at J-S-U-R-A-B. John, thanks so much for joining us and uh, good luck this NFL season. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much for having me. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. Fast Five Mini Super Contest is back. But before we get to that, we have our usual bankroll to attend to. And we had a good week going two and one, each bet winning or losing us $100. John, your bet on Simona Halep to win her quarter of the U.S. Open bracket was busted a few hours after the podcast posted. But she, she had a match point. She had a match point, Eric. She had oh. a match point. <laughs> well, and then she would have needed to win a couple more matches after yeah, that. So, yeah. yeah it's not pretty, but I, it's all, that's all I got. Right. Okay. Well, on the flip side, uh, you won it back with Alabama covering the 32-point spread against Duke. Uh, you want to talk about that sweat? <laughs> that was a beauty for a terrible game. Otherwise, yeah, uh, nothing, nothing after 20 minutes means I'm 32 points down. That's <laughs> that's not not comfortable. That's about when I tuned in, by the way. Um, then Blitzkrieg and it's 35-3 after three quarters. A bizarre 32 point push at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Then here comes the backup quarterback. Uh oh, you know, and he drives into field goal territory for reasons that escape me. Bama tries the field goal. It's like 38-3. Uh, I'm loving it, of course. Um, the ball hits a left upright, uh, matching this freshman kicker's hitting the right upright in the first quarter. Had the <laughs> dreaded delayed double doink. Uh, you're familiar <laughs> with that. <yeah>. Yes. 
So that's an aimless play that kind of reminded me of 1970s electric football. They're just everyone's going in circles, and, and and I'm in trouble now, I think, or at least I'm even. Uh, five minutes ago, and suddenly it's about a 45-yard Bama TD run. So I'm up, I'm up seven. And, of course, the Duke drives into Bama territory. He's able to throw a final pass at the end zone, which goes incomplete. So never in doubt, Eric. Never in doubt. <laughs> yep. All right. So after all of that, your bets broke even. Uh, My bet on the Lomachenko-Campbell fight to go over eight and a half rounds was a winner as the fight went the 12 round distance. And so that means we won $100 and we come into football season behind by a mere eight bucks. Uh, We're we're getting nowhere on the hamster wheel, but at least we haven't fallen off the wheel. Um, Well, I mean, look at the entertainment we have. We're sort of breaking even almost. So that's not bad. It's not a a bad return on investment, I would say. Right. I I, I agree. Although uh, certainly it remains to be seen uh, how close to even we are once all of our futures bets come in (laughs) because we have $2,445 currently tied up in futures bets. So that leaves us $7,540. $47 to bet with this week, and we're exclusively making NFL season-long over-under bets this week. That's the theme, and I'm up first. Um, and I should note that we already have one bet that you made a few weeks ago. Uh, just for $110, you put in Giants under five and a half wins. So we already have one of these. We'll be adding some more. For my first bet, I'm going with a top team that I believe in. Regardless of the health of Todd Gurley, uh, I think that's not such a big deal because rookie Daryl Henderson can fill right in. Uh, I am a believer in the Rams. I don't see them as one of those teams that lost the Super Bowl and will regress. I see them as a team that came close and will be hungry to get back there and win. I think Sean McVay is a potentially special coach, and that undressing by Belichick in the Super Bowl is going to eat at him and motivate him. Uh, Cooper Cup is back. That was a big loss last season Mm -hmm. that, you know, you add him and a healthy Gurley, and uh, certainly the Rams would have put up more than three points in the Super Bowl. Um, They still have the best defensive player on the planet in Aaron Donald. And their schedule isn't too bad because of those NFC West opponents. The Cardinals should be a doormat. The Seahawks will be middle of the pack. And I think the 49ers are overrated and will be about a six-win team. I don't see Garoppolo elevating them in his first year back after an ACL injury. If I could parlay Rams over with 49ers under, I would, but I can't. The sports books don't allow that because they're correlated. Uh, so I'm just going Rams over 10 and a half wins, and I actually get a tasty plus 120 payout at FanDuel. Uh, and this is my big bet this NFL season. I'm risking 300 to win 360. Uh, I, I went through their whole schedule. I think 12 and four is their most likely record. So I'm feeling good about this one over 10 and a half for the Rams. All right, go Rams for us then. Uh, as I recall, last August, I picked the Browns and the over before the preseason even started. Um, then Baker Mayfield looked interesting, and by the start of the season, they were everybody's darling. They went over anyway. Um, this year, the Browns at nine and a half on uh, DraftKings. Uh, now, it's uh, it's 167 to win 100, but they had to win 10 games to beat me. Uh, I'm going under, so... I like Mayfield still uh, long term, but it's only year two and it's a good division and so so offensive line and prima donna Odell Beckham could cause trouble. Inexperienced head coach to boot. Um, I, I don't think they're going to beat me with 10 wins. Okay. And so how much are we risking on that one? Yeah, 167 and 100. Okay. 
Uh, yeah, you know, when when you first started talking about the Browns, I thought for a second there that uh, that I was going to have to chide you for making uh, an extremely public pick since uh, everyone's buying into the hype and going over. So I'm I'm glad you went under at least. Uh, although I'm I'm kind of on the fence on this one. I'm not quite sure how good they will or won't be. But uh, but I'll ride it ride it out with you. We'll go under nine and a half. Uh, works for me. Um, for my second uh, season win total bet here, I have slightly less conviction on this one than I had on the Rams. Um, but I think the Jacksonville Jaguars are bound for a bounce back season. Uh, and uh, certainly our, our guest, John Sarabian, agrees. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad he's with me on this. Uh, two years ago, they nearly went to the Super Bowl on the strength of their defense. And that defense is still pretty much intact. They still have Leonard Fournette, and they went from one of the worst starting quarterbacks in the league to a solid one in Nick Foles. Uh, He can be kind of up and down, but based on the little we saw in the preseason, I like the way he looks in this offense. And Jacksonville is one of the teams that benefits from Andrew Luck retiring. They play the Colts twice. Uh, They just went from probably an underdog in those two games against the Colts to a favorite in probably both of those games, I would think. Um, I project them at 10 and 6 this season after looking over their whole record. Even if I'm being a little optimistic there, their over-under is 8 at standard minus 110 pricing. So I feel very good about at least a push and probably a win here, risking 220 to win 200 over eight wins for the Jags. And and I think they're the most likely team to win the now wide open AFC South for whatever that's worth. All right. Sounds good. Uh, I'm going to try another prima donna wide receiver and underpick. Um, yeah, it's the Raiders and Antonio, the helmet Brown. Yeah. Okay. Uh, under six. Um, that are making any real progress on the John Gruden. This, this roster is not any better than it was last year, uh, even with Brown. So uh, I only need uh 220 to win 200 on them. So, uh, yeah, under six is risky for most teams, but, uh, I don't, I don't know what the heck they're doing out there. (laughs) Well, this one, I wholeheartedly agree with and endorse. Uh, I think the Raiders are going to pretty much stink. And, uh, I think this is an, an excellent bet and I'll have a little more to say about the Raiders when we get into the fast five. Uh, so speaking of which let's close things out with the return of the fast five where John and I compete in our own head to head version of the famous Las Vegas super contest. Last year, I finished three games above 500, which would have lost me 1500 bucks in the super contest, but it was enough to finish a few games ahead of John and win our contest. So as the defending champion, I'm going to defer and let John go first in week one, as that will mean he'll also go first in week 17. And I can theoretically use that to my strategic advantage if I choose to. So, uh, John, using the official super contest lines from the Westgate in Las Vegas, what are your five games you're picking against the spread? Oh, I didn't realize that week 17 strategy thing. I'm a little, uh, a little <laughs> terrified of that, but uh, I'm going to ignore that. It's early. We'll it is. That we'll get to when we get to. we get the right. holidays and all kinds of things. Uh, American Dream Meadowlands will open before that. All kinds of things are going to happen. So <laughs> right. it's, it's so far away. Um, it can be Redskins plus 10 versus the Eagles. I mean, that is a juicy line for a week one divisional game. Uh, week one so brutal to predict anyway. But uh, if I can get 10 on almost any divisional rival against anyone else i'll, I'll take it um ravens giving six and a half at the dolphins yeah it's a sucker's line but the dolphins are pretty actively tanking the most actively tanking nfl team i can think of in 10 years if ever so uh they don't want to win they really really don't want to win so <laughs> yep. i'm going to trust them uh bills plus three over the jets because it's really a toss of divisional game also and uh so i get three why not uh, might be a push but i'll take it um, Colts plus six and a half versus Chargers. 
uh, sucker number again. But the Colts have better personnel outside of that pesky quarterback situation than the Chargers do. So uh, does the QB situation get the Chargers into winning by a touchdown or more? Uh, maybe, but I think the Colts might uh, hang in there in a, in a boring game. And finally, the uh, Cowboys minus seven over the Giants, who, uh, as you know from my earlier bet, I mean, that's just a dismal, dismal team. So uh, uh, Cowboys are going to be good this year, and I think they're going to handle this game. Well, until that last one, we almost had one of those weeks where we had none of the same games at all. But uh, uh, but I but I did make a pick in that Cowboys Giants uh, game, which which I'll get to. Uh, but I'm saving that for last. Um, week one is tough because there's a lot of guesswork involved, uh, more than will be the case in later weeks. But I think I found a few lines to exploit here, and I'll start with two games that are pickems, uh, and I have a clear side in both of those. I mentioned I'm down on the 49ers compared to the average Joe. Uh, they're a pickem on the road against the Bucks, who I think might surprise some people this year. I think the Bucks are the better of these two teams, and they're at home. So uh, all they need to do is win outright with the, with this spread. So I like Tampa Bay. Uh, my other pick is the Broncos over the Raiders. Uh, it's in Oakland, but that doesn't concern me here. I think the Broncos are a significantly better team. I expect the Raiders to be about a four-win team this year and, and maybe even challenge the Dolphins for the worst record in the league. I think John Gruden has lost his mind. Uh, if, if I'm getting a mediocre team like the Broncos against a truly terrible team like the Raiders and I don't have to lay any points, I love that. So give me Denver. Um I have a sneaking suspicion the Lions aren't going to be as bad as people think this year. They'll be bad, but not a total disaster. Uh, The Cardinals, meanwhile... I think could be a total disaster with, with the rookie quarterback and the rookie head coach. The Lions are only giving three in Arizona. I wish it was two and a half, but I can live with three and the potential push. Give me Detroit minus three. Um, I told you I believe in the Rams. Might as well back it up, especially with them being on the right side of the hook here as two-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, They're on the road, and it's possible Carolina will be decent this year. Um, I can't tell what to make of them or Cam Newton's health, really. But like I said, the Rams are one of the three or four best teams in the whole NFL, in my view. I see them going into Carolina and winning by three or more, so give me the Rams. And the last one uh, is the one that we have in common, and I I don't love this. I was kind of more on the fence with this one than my other picks, but uh, I'm glad to know that you agree with it. And of course, uh, make the pick partially out of respect for John Sarabian, the the Cowboys, uh, seven point favorites at home against the Giants, uh, who are apparently not your Giants. Sorry about that uh, for getting that wrong. Um, at, uh, at if it was six points, I'd certainly feel better about it. But even at seven. The Cowboys are a decent team, not a Super Bowl contender in my view, but a decent team. And the Giants are not. So give me the Cowboys minus seven. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, John Sarabian. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And with that, John, please take us out. All right. You know, Eric, there's a time-tested philosophy dating back to my mid-1980s rotisserie baseball league, which is still standing, by the way. Um, I'm in fourth place, I think, which nobody cares about. But uh, <laughs> And I just want to make sure that it's being upheld by our younger subscribers. Um, you know, winning and gambling is a great rush. But if we're being honest about it, it's as much more about ego than anything else, than even the money. So, you know, please make sure not just, not just to brag about your winnings to your spouse, just to, so you have another 
uh, even mildly significant other or just friends or whatever, uh, assuming you aren't drowning in debt or something, in which case you shouldn't be gambling anyway, um, spend a large part of your winnings by splurging on the person or people who put up with your obsession, whether uh, uh, time-wise or just uh, yammering-wise. Um, you got to realize you're lucky to have them. So uh, with that, until next time, gamble on. <laughs>